0: For over 45 years, Pensacola Christian College has set aside some time each spring semester for Bible Conference. These days of concentrated study and preaching from the Word of God are a time of spiritual enrichment for our students, faculty and staff, and many others who join us for these services. We're pleased to welcome you to the PCC Bible Conference. John chapter 2 in your Bible tonight. John chapter 2. And when you find that, I want to begin reading in the first five verses. John chapter 2. And let's look at the Word of God together. Here's what the Word of God says. In the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage... And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. The story takes place in Cana of Galilee. It's close to Nazareth, if you've ever been to Uh, that part of the world. Jesus' mother was likely present at this wedding because of her relationship uh, with members of the wedding party. Jesus and six of his disciples were also present for this occasion. And during the events of this celebration, Mary utters some words to Jesus' disciples that is great advice. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That's great admonition for us as we start this conference this week. I believe one of the greatest things you can do as a Christian is to steward your whatsoever. Just surrender your whatsoever to Jesus. That's great advice. It comes from the lips of Mary. I think one of the greatest contradictions... To a Christian is to tell God no about anything. I really never understood how a Christian could do that. Jesus one time asked these words. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? In other words, how can Jesus be the sovereign of our life if you and I are telling him no? And here's what often happens. It's almost as if at times we have taken and posted off-limit signs own to our life. We say, you can have this, you can have this, but oh, I'm going to reserve that for me. In fact, to the matter, it's almost as if we begin to negotiate our obedience and our disobedience with God. You oftentimes see it right after a person gets saved. They come to know Christ, but they begin to hedge on baptism and they begin to negotiate baptism. Or maybe they're saved and they've, they're baptized, but they begin to negotiate their obedience about joining a church. Or maybe it's about tithing, or maybe it's about being a witness for Christ. I think one of the greatest things that could happen in our life this week is if we would stop negotiating with God. And if we would begin to steward our whatsoever. Just take your whatsoever this evening as we kick off this conference. Put it into his hands and say, Lord, whatever you tell me this week, whatever your will is for me, I'm available and I'm willing to do it. I want you to notice several things about this text this evening. Notice, if you would, first of all, with me, the purpose for Jesus' presence at this wedding. You'll notice verse 2 and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Now, the reason Jesus was there is pretty simple. He had received an invitation to come to the wedding. The wedding was a big event in the first century, just like it is in the 21st century. But it was different in this regard in that the groom had to pick up the tab. Another difference is that the celebration in the time of Christ would oftentimes last up to a week in length. And Jesus' presence at the wedding, his performance of this first miracle at the wedding, lets us know that Jesus sanctified both the institution and the ceremony of marriage. You know, I'm amazed at how many marriages and how many relationships have never invited Jesus into the relationship. I'm amazed at how many weddings take place and Jesus has never been invited to the wedding. Most couples that I find today spend more time preparing for a wedding instead of preparing for the marriage. Do You know, when Jesus is invited into a marriage, when Jesus is invited into a home, when Jesus is invited into a business, when Jesus is invited into your life, transforming miracles begin to take place. The question we have to ask ourselves this evening is, what else is going on in your life that Jesus has never been invited to? Everything in your life needs the sanctifying presence of Jesus. Jesus was there because his invitation was received. But notice, second of all, not only did he receive an invitation, but it it was here that his identity would be revealed. Look at verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Now, the word for miracle is an interesting word because it's a word that means a sign. Jesus, or John, records eight of these sign miracles that Jesus did there in his gospel. Now, here's the interesting thing about a sign. A sign points beyond itself to something greater. The sign was pointing to the doer, not the deed. It was not enough for people to just believe in Jesus' works. They needed to believe in Him and the Father that had sent Him. His deity was on display at this wedding. And He was letting them see, don't be fascinated by the signs and miss the Savior. But see whom the sign is pointing to. Jesus is not just a doer of good deeds. He's not just a miracle worker. This was the Messiah. This is the Christ, and he's come to rule and reign in the hearts of men. So you see the purpose of his presence. But notice, second of all, the petition for his provision. Verse number three, this wedding is going on, and they realize something, they have run out of wine. Notice the petition. It was a very simple and specific petition. They have no wine. Nothing could be more devastating in an Eastern wedding than to run out of wine. Now, this was not only an embarrassment to the couple, but it would stigmatize this family forever. And it could even open the groom's family up to a lawsuit for failure to meet their wedding obligations. And so you begin to see it was a simple and specific request for his provision. But notice number two, it was spiritual and suggestive. Look at verse number three. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Let me me ask you a question. Why do you think Mary turned to Jesus when they ran out of wine? Well, I think Mary thought Jesus could do something about the situation. Ah, more than run to a wine cellar, more, uh, more than running into town, into a market, she believed, I think, that Jesus could do the supernatural. I believe she thought he could take that dead water, that diseased water, that dirty water, and if he needed to, he could make it new wine. You know what she was saying? She was saying, Jesus, your presence here can make a difference. Mary knew that Jesus was no ordinary child. She knew that he was virgin born. you imagine what it was like to rear Jesus as a child? Can you imagine what it was like in the early childhood of Jesus? Can you imagine, with your sanctified imagination, Jesus and his two half-brothers that are playing in the sandbox, and James and Jude, and maybe they're in the sandbox one day, and Jude and James look over to Jesus and say, "Hey, Jesus, look at this sand castle that we made." And Jesus says, "That's nothing, boys. I made the sand." You know, I believe Mary had observed Jesus for all of his life, and here's what she knew. She knew that whenever Jesus got involved, he could make a difference. Can I tell you tonight, student, that Jesus stands at your point of need tonight, and he wants to make a difference in your life. He wants to make a difference on your job. He wants to make a difference in your family. He wants to make a difference in your dorm. He wants to make a difference in this school. Jesus is the difference maker. So you see the purpose of his presence, the petition for his provision. Notice, third of all, the prompting of his person. Verse number four, Jesus says the most unusual thing to his mother. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. I've heard some people say, erroneously, that Jesus was being disrespectful to his mom. Jesus is not being uh, disrespectful to her. He's being respectful to her as a person. When he used the term woman, he was putting things in perspective. He was not being unkind. But this was the signal of a change in their relationship as mother and son. Jesus was beginning his public ministry and he was saying, don't look at me as your son. Don't look at me as your servant. I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of God. I am come to be the savior of the world. Jesus, oh, he loved his mother. He would never do anything disrespectful to his mother. In fact, to the matter when he was dying on the cross, he looked down to John and he said, John, be sure to take care of my mother. He was not being disrespectful for her, but he was reminding her of... His purpose. He was saying this, what does this concern have to do with the purpose that I'm here for? I am here to do what the Father wants me to do. I always do the Father's will. What was the Father's will? You say it was the cross. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work. Jesus knew that he was on the Father's timetable. One writer said it was not the appointed time for Jesus' full messianic glory to be revealed, yet the miracle he would perform would make his divine power unmistakable and preview his glory to come. So you see, the purpose of his presence, the petition of his provision, the prompting of his person. Notice, fourth of all, the power of the process. The Lord has a message for us tonight, and it's from the lips of Mary. She had a message to these disciples... And based on how those disciples respond to the message she gave, they are going to see a miracle, or they're going to walk away empty. They're going to walk away and their life will be changed forever, or there will be no difference than when they arrived at the wedding. Now I want you to notice how these disciples responded to what Mary said. They didn't try to bargain with Jesus. They didn't try to negotiate with Jesus. They just listened to what Mary said, and whatsoever Jesus said unto them, they did it. Can I ask you to do something this evening in the next few moments of this message? Whatever Jesus asks you to do in the next few moments... Would you respond in the same way these disciples responded? I'm talking to some students tonight, and you need to steward your whatsoever. You need to take your whatsoever this evening and lay it on God's altar. You're still negotiating your obedience and disobedience with God. You're trying to bargain with God because you've never come to that place where you surrendered your whatsoever. Now I want you to notice the progression of this task for these disciples. What did Jesus ask them to do? Look at verse number 7. First thing I would tell you they did is they heard exactly what Jesus said correctly. First thing that he said was this, fill the water pots with water. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, that wasn't hard to understand. That was, wasn't really hard to carry out, just water pots are empty, we need to fill them up with water. You know, it reminds me of what it's like soon after you get saved. One of the first things you hear after experiencing salvation is you need to follow the Lord in the next step of obedience, which is believer's baptism. For them, it was simple, fill the water pots with water. There was no confusion about that. They didn't have to get a committee together to vote on it. It's very simple. But do you know if your whatsoever is not on the altar, you're going to have a hard time hearing God correctly. But when your whatsoever is on the altar, and you're stewarding your whatsoever, his voice gets very clear. And I think our problem is not hearing the word correctly. But I believe our problem is stewarding our whatsoever. You know, Moses heard the word correctly. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But you know what he said? He said, you know, I I have this. I'm so deficient. I'm not an eloquent speaker. Oh, but he heard the word correctly. Uh, Jonah heard the word correctly. Go to Nineveh and preach. But he made this excuse. Oh, no, that's too difficult a task. But Jonah heard the word correctly. Naaman heard the word correctly go wash in the Jordan seven times and you can be made clean but he said no I'm too dignified to do that but he heard the word correctly say our problem is not hearing the word correctly our problem is stewarding our whatsoever I'm afraid we want to hold on to our whatsoever instead of putting our whatsoever on God's altar. I'm talking to some tonight and you want to know the will of God so you can decide if you want to do it. We want to know the will of God so we can make the determination if it agrees with what we want to do. I remember years ago I heard an old preacher that's in heaven now say this. He said, when it comes to the will of God, what you need to do is take a blank sheet of paper, go down to the bottom of it, sign your name, turn it around, give it to God, and say, whatever it is that you want to do in filling in the blanks, I'm available and willing. But if your whatsoever is still being negotiated with God, you can't make that kind of commitment. So the first thing they heard was, fill the water pots with water. Look at verse 8. Then they said, Jesus said, go and draw some out now and bear it under the governor of the feast. Now, the governor of the feast was the individual that was responsible to making sure that the guests were supplied with food and drink. He would sample everything before serving it, serving it to the guests. I would have loved that job. So now, they, he's told them, fill the water pots with water and bear it to the governor of the feast. And those disciples are beginning to think, no, wait a minute. You mean we've got to take this to the head guy, water, and make him think this is wine? The task was getting a little harder, but the truth of the matter was this. It was not the servant's job to turn the water into wine. Their instructions were simple. Fill the water pots with water. Draw out now, bear it under the governor of the feast. In other words, Jesus was saying to them, if you will trust me, if you will obey me, if you will let me have your whatsoever, you're getting ready to get in on something special. Jesus was saying to them what I think he's saying to, the, to you tonight He's saying, if you will supply the manpower, I'll take care of the miracle power. If you will supply the surrender, I'll take care of the supernatural. If you supply the obedience, I'll take care of the omnipotence. I'll do a miracle and you'll be the first ones to see it. Just steward your whatsoever. So they heard the word correctly. And then I want you to notice verse 8 they bear it, they obeyed God's word completely. You know, they obeyed completely because incomplete obedience is disobedience. Do you remember the story of Elijah? During a time of famine, God gave him some instructions. He said, go to Cherith. He said, I've commanded ravens to feed thee there. He said, I have a plan for you. I have not only a plan, but I have provision for you. And then after the brook dried up at Cherith, he said, I want you to go to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow woman to sustain thee there. Listen, you will never get what God promised until you get there. Elijah's responsibility was to go where God told him to go. He didn't ask for additional information. He simply did what it was God asked him to do. And I'm afraid our problem is that we want complete understanding before we'll move for God. I'm afraid we want everything to fit logically into our box. We want understanding of everything before we'll do anything. But understand this, understanding comes with obedience. Because obedience moves us to the place where God can prove himself in our lives. Jesus' words, fill the water pots with water, draw out now, bear to the governor of the feast. I can see those disciples looking at Mary. She says, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. So they've heard the word correctly. They've obeyed the word completely. And I want you to notice how they experience the word personally. Look at verse 9. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was. Now look at that next phrase in your Bible. It's in parenthesis, my favorite part of the text. He didn't know where this had come from. But the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom. So the master of the feast... He doesn't know where this wine has come from. The guests didn't know where it came from. No one knew where it came from. There were only a handful of unnamed servants that were willing to steward their whatsoever. They were willing to surrender to his plan. And when they did that, they got in on a blessing that was so unique. And I want you to notice how this blessing that had come to them individually now began to spread. Because not only did they experience the word personally, notice how this progresses, now they observed his glory corporately. Notice what happened when just a handful of unnamed uh, servants were a steward of their whatsoever they laid it up on God's altar with absolute surrender. Verse number nine, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Do you see the progression? It is now moved, the blessing has moved now from the servants who obeyed individually to now the whole crowd corporately is benefiting from the obedience of a view. There's a great lesson there. Every decision you make individually affects the body corporately. Your decision to be obedient or disobedient affects everyone in the church. Your decision to obey or disobey affects everyone in the student body. Your decision to surrender or your decision to resist, your decision to step out or to stay seated affects everyone. You say, well, it's my life, and I'll do what I want to with it. Well, you can say that if you're lost. But if you're saved, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Listen, Jesus has paid for you. My question is this tonight. Did God get all he paid for? You see, your obedience or disobedience affects everyone around you. But when you obey him completely, when you honor his word personally, here's what he does. He sends his glory down not only on you, but everyone around you experiences that as well. If these servants here had not put their whatsoever on God's altar, they would have never experienced the glory of God that day. But man, the glory came down And everyone benefited from the miracle of a few unnamed servants that dared to steward their whatsoever and lay it on the altar of God. These disciples made a decision in that moment to forsake their personal plans, their private inhibitions, and they stepped up to God's altar and offered themselves a living sacrifice In complete surrender to Jesus. The year was 1956. A group of five missionary families left America to go to a little place called Quito, Ecuador. Their goal, very simple, to reach an unreached people group of Aka Indians. These were really sharp young people. One was the president of his class... One was a captain of his football team. One was a pilot. Peter, Roger, Jim, Nate, Ed, they all went together. They started by flying their airplane over them and dropping out gifts, trying to be friendly. After a few days of that, they decided to land on a beachhead by the river where they had dropped the goods and make a connection with the Indians. All five of the missionaries got out of the plane that day and they waited. And they watched until the Indians began to descend from the jungle. And those five men were met with five spears. Time Magazine carried their story on the front cover. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Roger Yoderin, and Pete Fleming. It was Jim Elliott that said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he gained something far greater in death than he would ever gain in life. Missions began to surge in the 1950s. In fact, many people began to travel to that part of the world later on because of the evangelism of those Indians. And they began to visit this site where these missionaries were murdered. Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, wrote the great book, Shadow of the Almighty. She actually wrote part of it from the living room of one of the men that had killed her husband. Because many Indians had come to know Christ. One day a missionary pilot was flying a preacher to see the site where the missionaries had perished. As they are flying, the preacher said, Is that the bend in the river? Is that the place? The missionary pilot bit his lip, and he didn't say anything. And a tear began to well in his eye. He circled around and landed the plane, and they walked out. The preacher once again, is that the bend in the river where Nate Saint died? The missionary pilot began to cry, no, this is not where Nate Saint died. I was with Nate Saint when he died. I was with him in Illinois in a missions conference when the call was issued for laborers in the work. And I left my seat that night with Nate Saint, and we went and spread out in an altar. And no, Nate Saint did not die at the bend in the river, but Nate Saint died in that altar at church that night. And I am saying tonight and pleading that God is looking for some to stand in the gap and make up the hedge to answer the call to surrender their life to steward their whatsoever and to take their whatsoever and lay it on God's altar. You've been listening to a Bible conference message from Pensacola Christian College. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.